Good morning and welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. You have come to a house of prayer for all nations, a safe place where strangers become friends. So if you're a guest with us today, we just anticipate that by the end of this morning, you will no longer be a stranger to us or us to you, but you will go out a friend. Thanks for being with us and we trust that the presence and goodness of the Lord will surround you this day. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Lord Jesus, you spoke that word into my heart this morning. As we were praying today before the first service. Lord, that you would come today. You who are the bridegroom. Lord, we just want you to know that we love you. And you... Satisfy us and you, you are more than we could ever hope or imagine for. And we long to be with you. And we welcome you to come today and wash us by your word. Lord Jesus, that you would put a poultice of, of your grace upon the places in our hearts and lives that have been stained. And that you would draw the stain out. That you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness by your goodness and grace. Lord, we pray that you would bring the fire of your presence. And as you you stretch the garment of our soul today, that you would iron out every wrinkle. For Lord, we want to be a radiant bride, presentable to you, the bridegroom. So Lord, we welcome you to come and transform us by your word today. Lord, this must be more than information. It must be transformation. Please. Living eternal word, come. And go deep into our hearts and change us. Lord, we need you. We need you. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Come on, say it again. Come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we will add our amen to your word of truth in Jesus' name. Amen. As you noticed when you walked in the room today, into our home, into our house here, his house, this house of prayer for all nations, and you looked up front, you saw beautiful banner that declares this to be the year of outpouring and you probably received a bulletin from one of the ushers and 
on the front, there's a picture here of 2008, a year of outpouring. And in this year of outpouring, the Lord has been speaking to our hearts and to our lives. As He's been speaking to us over the last couple of years about shifting. And this word of shift means a dislodging and a repositioning. It means an intensification and an acceleration. It's, it's a moving that He's doing in the very foundation stones of our heart to get us properly aligned so that we might receive from Him the fullness of His inheritance and so that we might be able to release the fullness of His outpouring. And in the process, He has had us facing a number of different giants Giants in the land, giants in our culture, things that, that have blocked that receiving and that releasing. And last week, we addressed one of those giants here in this house. And that giant was the fact that it is His desire to shift us from a spirit of poverty to a spirit of generosity. And if you were unable to be with us last week, let me encourage you to get the CD or you can download it off of the website. But it was a word in season for this house. And I don't believe probably just for this house, but for His church here in this day and in this time and in this culture. For the Lord wants to release us as our apostolic overseer Dale Van Stinas has shared with me and will, I'm sure, continue to share with us, release us into a place of extravagant giving. Extravagant giving. This morning we begin a 40-day spiritual journey. If you've got your journal, it's a 40-day spiritual journey to a more generous life. And over the next six weeks, beginning today, we are going to be looking at six principles that are outlined in this little book called The Treasure Principle, Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving by Randy Alcorn. Six treasure principles. And you can pick up this book in the back. It's at just at cost, $6. Journal's free. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the first of those treasure principles. And the first treasure principle is this. God owns everything. And I'm His money manager. (laughs) God owns everything. Now, I read that word from Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 for a reason, because I believe the Lord wants to wash us in His Word this morning with some kingdom reality. We live in a distorted reality because of the culture we live in, because of the, 
you know, just everything around us and in our own minds and hearts. We live in an alternate reality from kingdom reality. So what I want to do this morning is begin by simply reminding you of kingdom reality and truth. And the scriptures that we're going to wash ourselves with this morning are the scriptures that are from day one. So I'm helping you to do day one of the spiritual journey where it says God is the owner of everything. Listen to the word of the Lord. Hear it. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. It's all mine, God says. Every bird, every animal, every fishy swimming in the sea. It's all His. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Not only is every creature, not only is every... You know, everything that walks upon the face of the earth, but the silver and gold is also mine. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. O Lord is the kingdom. You, yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. The land must not be sold permanently. Because the land is mine. And you are aliens and tenants. Now, is this beginning to rub on you at all? I mean, who does he think he is? Well, he happens to think that he's God. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all of our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, for all of this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. Now, this is the word of the Lord that came to David after the people had responded to a a building campaign invitation. It's all his. Even the gifts that we're giving to him come from him. All of it comes from your hand and it all belongs to you. You see, part of the deception of the spirit of poverty says, I earned it, so it's mine. Well, you know, the only reason you earned it was because he made it possible for you to earn it. 
Psalm 24 kind of sums it up. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All the world and all who live in it. (laughs) The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it. This building, it's His. Your car, it's His. Some of you would like to just give it back. (laughs) Yes, Lord, it's yours. (laughs) Your house, it's His. Your job, it's His. That's kingdom reality. It's all His. Because of these kingdom realities, let me talk to you for a moment about Kingdom economics. Kingdom economics. Now, some of you don't know this, but back in a long time ago, when I was in college, I was actually an economics major, as well as a literature major. My right brain and left brain were both getting worked. And I learned a few things about economics during that time, but... I'm going to teach you something that I never learned in my economics classes, all right? I'm going to talk a little bit about kingdom economics. But first, I'm going to give you a couple of contrasts because we live within an economic system that's called capitalism, a capitalist economy. Now, a capitalist economy can be defined like this. It's a free market economy that operates without exterior control. The marketplace naturally orders itself around the needs and wants of the population through what, if you've been in any economics class, the invisible hand. Adam Smith's invisible hand that orders the marketplace. Now, in reality, we don't live in a pure capitalist system. There's all kinds of controls and all kinds of things and there's all kinds of manipulation through marketing and all kinds of other things to tell us what we need and want. But this is the basic definition of a capitalist economy. Now, in a capitalist economy, when you ask the question, who owns the goods, the answer is, I do. It's mine. Right? And one... Simple little motto to help describe what a capitalist economy is, is this. You you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's reciprocity. So if I'm scratching Arthur's back, he's going to scratch mine. All right? This is a capitalist economy. It has to do with reciprocity and all of that. Now, the other primary economic system that exists in our world today is a socialist economy. And a socialist economy can be described like and defined like this. It's a managed market economy that is controlled by the state. And the state orders the marketplace to meet what it decides are the needs and wants of the population. So it's a managed economy. And the state decides what you need and what you want. And it orders the markets according to that. And when the question is, who owns the goods? The answer is, the state does. They own it. And the simple motto of a socialist economy would be this. You scratch my back or I'll break yours. All right? It's a fairly direct system. 
All right? Now, there is a third kind of economic system, but it's invisible to most economists, and we don't hear about it, we don't read about it, it's not in the paper, we don't talk about it. But there is a third kind of economy, and it's called a kingdom economy. And let me define for you what a kingdom economy looks like. A kingdom co- economy can be defined as this way. It is a liberated market economy that is controlled by the Spirit and the Spirit leads His stewards to pursue His purposes and meet the true needs of the population. It's liberated and it is controlled not by the state or by individuals, but by the Spirit. And those who are participating in the kingdom economy become stewards who pursue the purposes of God. And as they do that, the true needs of the population are met. The question, who owns the goods? God does. We just read Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He owns the goods. And the motto is, He scratches our backs so that we can scratch others. This is Genesis 12 where the covenant was made with Abraham where God says, I will bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. Everything I pour out to you is intended to pour out through you to the nations. Now, where on earth do we see such an economy exist? Well, I think we get some glimpses of it in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 in the early church. And there's still glimpses around today. What would it be like to live in that kind of economic system? I think the Lord is inviting us into a place of kingdom economics. He's, it's, it's hard. It's up. You know, you're swimming against everything that's rushing. It's like trying to, to, to go against a fire hose and walk into it. But the Lord wants to instruct us and teach us. So if, In the kingdom economy, the Spirit leads His stewards. We need to understand some things about stewardship. So I'd like to talk this morning and the remainder of our moments together a little bit about some kingdom stewardship. And by kingdom stewardship, I want us to understand that we are the managers of the assets that God has entrusted to us, not given to us. These are the assets that have been entrusted, not given to us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, please take and make use of the Bible located right in front of you. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through. I think it's page 702 that you'll find Matthew chapter 25. And this may be a familiar story to some of you, but I'd like you to hear it with some fresh ears today and allow the Lord to speak to you some very specific principles about kingdom stewardship. 
Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Who called his servants and entrusted his property. Now that word entrust is an interesting word. It means to commit with confidence. To commit with confidence. Now notice, it does not mean a transfer of ownership. It does mean a transfer of management. The assets belong to the man. But he's entrusting those assets into his servant's hands. He's committing them to them with confidence. Now to one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now in your... Maybe in your Bible it has a little note like it does in the bottom of mine that says a talent was worth more than a thousand dollars. But that doesn't actually even quite get at, you know, that doesn't help us so much get it into our economic reality. A talent was worth six thousand denarii and a denarii, one denarii was the average worker's wage for a day's labor. So when we're talking about the man who got one talent, he got 6,000 days of wages. Which I figure if you're working 300 days a year, that's somewhere around 20 years worth of wages. So this was not a small little amount. The one who got two got 12,000 days worth of wages. Forty years, a whole lifetime of an adult. The one who got five got 30,000. I mean, just incredible, extravagant amount of money. Now, we're going to talk about now this talent. I mean, it's sort of migrated over the years in our understanding of what a talent is. Originally, way back, it was actually used to describe a weight, how much weight something was, a, a quantity. It was, it had to do with capacity and quantity. It was, it was connected to weight. And then it got connected to currency. And then in our understanding today, it gets connected to ability. And that is certainly a acceptable understanding of this text and of the parable. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact in the context of what we're talking about in this 40 days of generosity that Jesus is also talking here about money. In fact, Jesus talks about money a lot. It's His number two subject after the kingdom. He talks about money more than anything else than the kingdom of God. Why? Because as we've seen and as we'll see over the weeks to come, this right here is a reflection of this. 
It's a practical way of understanding what's going on in our hearts. When in fact, we're going to talk about this next week. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right. Each according to his ability. Now, anyone on a journey? The man who had received the five talents went at once and notice what he does. He put his money to work. And he gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. So each of them doubled what they had been given. As they invested, the asset doubled. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And that's a, you know, that's one strategy <laughs> to do with an asset. Go and bury it in the ground. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now notice all of the language here is accounting language. He's settling accounts now. Okay, he's got the ledger out and he brings them in. And the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And he brings and he places that at the master's table. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. I've doubled the asset here as well. And he brought them to the master and his master replied, verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Now, he didn't talk about how much he had. He just went right into his defense. Master... He said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Let me wipe it off quick. All right, here we go. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You wicked, lazy servant. Now notice that there's a question mark after his next statement. That's very important. He doesn't actually come into agreement with the servant about who he is. What he does is he basically reflects back to him what the servant said to him. So, you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? In other words, that's your perception of who I am. That's what you think about me. That's how you view me as your master. 
Well, if I was like that, if that is who I am, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. At least you could have gotten that half of 1%. You know? Take the talent from him and give him to the one who has the ten talents. For anyone who has been who has will be given more and he will have an abundance and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now that's just not fair. I mean, it should all be equal. Mm, that's not the way it works in the kingdom economy. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Youch. This is sobering. Let me very quickly give you three principles of kingdom stewardship. Please write these down. The first principle is this. We receive a trust, a deposit of grace. Every single person on this earth receives a trust. Those of us who have received Christ as our Savior, we have received very specifically from the Lord a deposit of grace. So whether you like it or not, you are a steward. Because you have been given, you have been entrusted with assets from the Lord. They look like this. They look like your spiritual gifts. If you've received Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. He's the gift giver and He has given you gifts. End of story. I don't know. I don't think I... You do. You have spiritual gifts from the Lord. You have heart and passion. There are things that stir you. The way God made you. There is stuff that gathers and grabs your attention and draws your heart. And when you see or hear those things, you immediately want to respond. Because God's given you a heart and passion about those things. That's an asset from the Lord. He has given you abilities and talents and yes, resources. Natural gifts and abilities that you have in your intellect, in your emotions, in in creativity, in your money and how much you have. This is a good time to mention here They were not rewarded or unrewarded based on how much they had. It's what they did with what they had. We live in a culture that constantly compares and competes. And if that person's got those and I don't, well then I'm somehow standing... This this kingdom economy, God's stewardship, it's not about that. He gives us according to what we know. Some have one, some have two, some have five. 
It's all right. What are you doing with what you have? We're going to get to that in a moment. Abilities, talents, resources, personality. We have a unique personality that's from God. Some of us are blessed we have more than one. It's great. And all the mental health workers in the room say, don't say that, please. (laughs) But we have a unique personality. It's part of the way God made us. Sometimes we like, sometimes we don't like. But we have them. And we have unique experiences, things, cultures. I mean, in this house, we could go around, we could spend weeks and months just talking about the different experiences that are here in this room. So many different unique experiences. All of those go into making our particular shape, who we are, how God's made us, the deposit of grace, the asset that He's put into us. We have received this as a trust from Him. The second principle is that we receive a test. We have now an opportunity to invest that deposit of grace. We have an opportunity to invest what has been given to us. Every single one of us are even right now being tested with the assets that we've been entrusted with. Remember, He has committed those to us confidently with the expectation that we will multiply the fullness of what He has given to us. So my question for each of us this morning is this. It's afternoon now. Alright? It's okay. We're almost there. You're getting bonus points today. Overtime. Woo! All right. What are we going to do with what we've been given? What are we going to do with what we've been entrusted with? What are we doing with what we've been entrusted? All of us have had the experience of seeing somebody whose life, you know, there was so much possibility, so much potential, and they, quote, squandered their potential. What are we doing with what we've been entrusted with? And what will we do while the Master is absent? He was gone a long time. Now, remember the context here of Matthew 25. Please take note of that. Matthew 24 begins to talk about the second coming of Christ and signs of the end of the age and the day and hour unknown. And then he tells these three stories, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the sheep and the goats. So the, the larger context here is waiting for Christ the Master to return. And while the Master is absent, what are we doing with what he's been, what He has entrusted us with? You know, the measure of a classroom is how it operates when the teacher's gone. You can get a good test of your kids and how they're doing when you're gone. In the workplace, when the boss is absent, what happens with the workers? 
What are we doing while the master is gone? He's not tangibly here right now. I mean, in the flesh. So what are we doing? And sometimes in our spiritual life, there are times when we function, um, Henry Nouwen calls it the ministry of absence. What do you do when it doesn't feel like God's very close? What do you do when nobody's watching, when nobody's, you know, what, what do you do? I don't know if anybody, I haven't read the book, I, I, I read about the book from Mother Teresa, her, you know, the, the biography that talked about how she did so much of her work without many, many years, much of her time, without a conscious awareness of the close presence of God. Just to say, But she did it out of that place of obedience to the Word that had been spoken to her heart. What do you do when the Master's absent? Third principle. We're almost there. We receive a trophy, a reward of grace. We've been given a trust. There's a test, and of course, because we have to keep it teased, we receive a trophy, a reward of God's grace. Rewards in the kingdom, that's unfair. Well, talk to God. He set it up. You know what the reward is? This is very interesting. Please don't miss this. Don't check out. Stay with me, because this is very important. The reward that we receive when we are good stewards is more responsibility and more authority. In the parallel parable parable in Luke 19, it's slightly different wording. It talks about the minas and there's ten of them and cities. And the ones who do well, with they get more and they get more responsibility and more authority. This is the reward that happens. So if you start with one talent and you use it responsibly before the Lord and you bring two, what does He do? And in fact, please take note of that in Matthew. Let's go back to our passage for a moment. It says in verse 28, take the talent from Him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. The talents, he, the servant came, brought the ten talents back to the master and the master gave them back to him and gave him even more. Entrusted him with more. That's the reward of good stewardship. And when you have more authority and more responsibility, you get more access and more intimacy. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. More responsibility. And come and share your Master's joy, His happiness. Come, enter in to the gladness of the Master and experience the intimacy with Him. Wow. That makes it worthwhile. It's worth doing. The reward of poor stewardship and fear is loss. That, even which we have when we bury it, it's taken away and we lose the very thing that has been entrusted to us. 
And it's tragic. Wicked, lazy servant. Oh, God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear those words. Anybody want to hear that? I don't want to hear those words. Let me say to you, as you are faithful in those little things, in the little promptings of the Lord, when you are faithful in obedience to the Lord, saying, yes, I'll do the, what seems like such a small thing, it begins to multiply. Hallelujah. And He gives you more. And more. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due Him for all the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. With a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There is an accounting that's going to come into our lives. And I believe, I'm, I'm, you know, he's confident, I'm confident that that which he's committed to us, that as we have been faithful with those small things, even individually and even as a church, as a congregation. I've watched the Lord over the years. We've just been in those small... I've watched Him do that. So I want to commend you. And I also want to commend you to continue and exhort those of you that have been burying your talent. In the name of the Lord, I exhort you today. Don't, don't bury it any longer. Begin to invest it. Poor good Lord. In closing, I have two last scriptures for you. I'm not going to preach on them. I just want to, I want you to hear them. I want you to get washed with the water of the word one more time. Kingdom reality revisited. Listen carefully. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. For none of us lives to Himself alone, and none of us dies to Himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Who does he think he is? He thinks he's God. And you know what? He actually thinks that he owns you. You're his. He owns you. Lock, stock, and barrel. He owns you. You belong to him. And he paid a price. The price of the very sacrifice of His own life to purchase you. And this morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've never said yes, if you've never come into agreement with what is actual reality, and you've been living in an alternate reality, thinking that you were in control of your own life and destiny, I want to invite you into true reality. 
and invite you into relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and the Spirit of the Lord is beginning to prod in your heart and poke, you know, and maybe he's, he's saying, you know, you're getting that well done, good and faithful servant. And he's just, he's giving you that, that commendation in your spirit. Rejoice in that. Maybe there's places or areas where he's saying, son, daughter, can we talk? I'd really like to invite you to begin to put your assets to work in my kingdom. To multiply my abundance in and through you. That's my heart. He's got an abundant heart.